Black Season 3, coming at you like Coca-Cola Classic. We're the official podcast of summer. You can't stop it. No, you can't top it. The feeling you get from Avalonian Grant, the writer's block, is it. No longer made with opiates. And what a pity that is. And what a pity that is. We're much lower energy than we used to be as a result. I don't know if you guys can tell. Uh, but I am Rylan Grant. I am a screenwriter. I am the Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left this time is... David Avaloni, filmmaker, comic book writer, and um, post-pandemic uh, day drinker. Oh, love it. Uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many more, uh, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Um, great show today, as always. Uh, do you have some plugs, Avaloni? The only plug I have in the immediate future is I'm going to be at WonderCon. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I have a panel Saturday at 6.30 in the evening. Terrific time for panel. And a panel Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Another fantastic time for panel. Um, so drunks at, on Saturday night, hungover uh, Sunday morning. Uh, but that's it. What have you, have you got anything to plug on, on this exciting new comic book day? I have been uh, 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 plugging uh, the Suicide Jockeys trade paperback for uh, a long time now. It kept getting delayed because of uh, uh, paper issues, paper shortage issues. Um, it is finally in comic shops. I finally went down to my local comic shop and picked up the uh, big case of trades that I'd ordered from them. Uh, and I hauled it home. And uh, now that I am on the air, I do not have one in the room with me. My wife has one. Uh, there are several locked out in my garage. Uh, I do not have one, but the the collected edition of my latest and greatest greatest comic book uh, endeavor, Suicide Jockeys from Source Point Press. It's a tokusatsu joint, um, essentially uh, Fast and the Furious meets Voltron. Uh, it is available via your local comic shop right now, and on Amazon and other you know book uh, sellers. All of that uh, good stuff. Um, Currently sitting at a 9.2 uh, um, on, um, uh, what is, what is, what is Roundup. Comic Book Roundup. There you go. My brain's not working today, but uh, it's been received very well. It's a, it's a fun time. Go pick it up. And then I will also be at WonderCon, uh, you know, probably hanging out with Abalone a lot of the time. But um, my new book, uh, my my Wuxia series, uh, Fashung Origins from... Um, uh, from Immortal Studios, um, you know, kind of a uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon sort of joint is being announced formally, finally at a WonderCon at a big panel. And then I'm doing some signings. So if you are in SoCal, uh, if you are at WonderCon, come see me, come get your your books uh, uh, signed. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll do something else to them. I don't know. Uh, some origami action or something like that. Nice. Uh, but come see me. I'll be around all Saturday. I might be there on Friday also, but um uh, we talk too much as per usual, so let's uh, let's bring on some guests to do let's some bring talking. Bring in Ethan and Jess. Howdy, howdy, Hello, kids! You almost got you almost had your own spit take there, Ethan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was not planned. Hello, better, better. Hello, hello. So tell us a little bit about yourself, kids. Okay, I guess that's me first. Um, well, I'm Jessica Silvetti. My friends call me Jess. Um, yeah, I am um, 
a writer, director, filmmaker, originally from Mexico City. Um, my first language is actually Spanish. A lot of people are like, what, you speak Spanish? I'm like, yeah, it's my first language. Um, and I've been, you know, writing for a while, um, collaborating with Ethan, doing our own stuff as well. We met as performers another lifetime ago, and um, I'm currently writing on a Mexican TV show that's um, a dramedy that's for Amazon and uh, Pantalla, and um, that's been a lot of fun. And mm -hmm. then diving into this crazy world of the graphic novels and comics and bringing to life something that we've been working on for a while, so it's been awesome. My what's, the the, what's the name of the show? It's called El Juego de las Llaves. Which translates to yep. um, the game of keys. Nice. Excellent. But nice. it's scripted. It's not a competition. My mom was like, wait, what yeah. is that a competition show? I'm like, not exactly. Yeah. It's it's a scripted show. <laughs> I mean, some yes. people might think it's competition. <laughs> My first language, Klingon. No lie. It was a weird cult, <laughs> weird cult situation. We could do an entire uh, uh, you know, uh, podcast on that. Maybe we'll do that right, next week. Got the forehead ridge sanded down. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I didn't say I had the ridge. I just said I spoke the language. You know, right. So, yeah. And <laughs> give us your background a little bit. Uh, I am Ethan Kogan. Um, sometimes I write under E.B. Kogan, which is just my initials. Um, I am an Angelino native. We do exist. Um, people are born in this city. Um, I uh, started out uh, as an actor, uh, did a lot of theater, um, worked with uh, actually this, uh, this guy right here, Rylan Grant, uh, one of my uh, directors of the early years. There you um, go. Yeah, amazing experience. Well, um, and then uh, moving out to back out to LA after school, um, started to get into writing, filmmaking, landed work as an editor for like the past six years for so kind of been editing and film and tv um and uh we started directing together on smaller projects and um writing a lot and venturing most recently into the comic book world which we're kind of really excited about this new project so i have uh i've known ethan um and worked with ethan since i were you 18 or 19 i mean i i, I was a year or two older was it my freshman year or sophomore year we first started? So I would have, yeah. I guess nineteen. Yeah, yeah. You were nineteen years old, yeah. and um, uh, the first thing we did together, I was producing this train wreck of a. It was a forty. American. It was a forty-five minute musical on film. Yeah, yeah, that 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 went horribly. I mean, it was it, it was it was amazing, and it's uh uh you know, and it's ostentation, ostentatiousness. I can't even say the word. Uh, you know, a, a bunch of kind of twenty year old kids at a you know at a, a university trying to make a forty five minute uh you know um, musical, but but um but yeah, uh you know, no one knew what they were doing uh except for you know except for for me in my opinion, uh, but also Ethan. And like, uh, you know, Ethan showed up every day and gave 110% and was really a standout, even though he was, I don't know, maybe as an actor, yeah. maybe sixth on the, the call sheet or something like that. I was just like, yeah, I was just like, I need to work with this guy. And then um, my honors thesis at the University of Michigan was a film called Drive, not the, not the drive yeah. that you guys all know, uh, um, but a, a, a different drive. And um, and I needed I needed an actor. You know, you're you're on a you're 
at a university. So like, how do you get actors that aren't kids? But Ethan could grow that very luxurious beard uh, that he has mm -hmm. right now even when he was uh, uh, 19. And so, <laughs> and so he grew that beard out and he convincingly passed for a young father. Um, and it was good. We made a damn good film and it went to the, the Austin, film, Austin Film Festival, like back when, you know, back when nothing got into the Austin Film Festival. I mean, the, the, the festival uh, circuit has changed so much over the years. It was, it was, you know, it was kind of one of the uh, things to get into. And, you know, we won some awards here or there with it. And it was good. And then the, I mean, the really interesting part is that the script that broke me originally in Hollywood that started my, you know, 16 plus year writing career in Hollywood was a feature length version of the movie that I made with Ethan. And, um, and I got to know those characters very intimately uh, rehearsing uh, with Ethan and, and his sort of counterpart, the antagonist in the film, uh, you know, uh, improvising a lot of stuff. Uh, what would this character do in there? And, and, and by the end of that process, I knew these characters so well that doing something bigger and better uh, yeah. um, uh, was, was pretty easy. And then, you know, I ended up at, at some point, um, I mean, eventually that script took this whole commercial turn, which was really interesting. But, um, but before that, before I signed with CAA and before we were attaching directors to it and everything, um, it was twice a finalist for the Sundance Directors Lab. Um, and the story of, well, I actually built, I built this script by getting some actors in a room and rehearsing things and posing questions to them. And, uh, uh, that was a really interesting, that was a story that they were very interested in. It's like, you know, you go in and you interview with these people and they're like, Oh wow, this is, yeah. What about this? And what about that? And, um, so yeah, so, uh, so my beginnings in Hollywood are, are, are very closely tied to the work I did with Ethan back when we were, you know, not old enough to drink. So, you, you know, I have the original VHS of, uh, that musical. Oh dear. Uh, I probably, I probably still have one in the garage. I try not to watch it, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, I, I, I mean, here's the thing is like, uh, University of Michigan has a, a world-class like uh, music recording uh, uh, program. This, you know, these incredible studios and incredible musicians. And, and the one thing that is good and interesting about the whole endeavor is that, I mean, the original music, at least it, it got a little messed up and tweaked as it got put in the film because film speeds and uh, let's not get started on that. Yeah. But, but the music was really, you know, particularly for, you know, a bunch of 19 and 20 year old kids putting it together. The music was very interesting. It was, it was, it was as professionally recorded and, uh, you know, as it could be. And we had musicians coming in and, and, you know, I, I mean, how long did we spend in a recording studio, Ethan? I mean, you know, I, I, I know you were only there for, for part of it, but it's, you know, we spent, no, you guys must have been there for way long. I just remember doing our our crazy little uh, our faux gangster raps, and yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> we, we 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 put this musical together so quickly, and it was like, and and I I um, I mean, musically, I can I can listen to anything and sing it back to you. I'm one of these guys that can like I can pick up a guitar and figure out a song. I can sit down at a piano and figure out a you know. I, I'm one of those guys, but I don't. You know, I read music when I was in seventh grade or something like that. I haven't really had to read music since then. And I certainly don't, I can't, I can't take what's in my head and put it down on paper and music. And so I had to, you know, uh, I was the producer. I was not supposed to have to do this, but I was the only one who could put these songs together and convey how these songs should, should sound and look and feel to, to other people. 
So I had to step in for this unexpectedly. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm shooting from the hip and we had this composer that, that, that shit the bed and, and exited the thing. And so, you know, you have, you have, I mean, the U of M has a world-class musical theater program. And so, and so, you know, they're used to, Oh, here, here's a piece of paper with what I have to sing. Let me just knock, step in and knock it out. And if I could do that for the Ethans, you know, in the cast, it would have been great, but I couldn't do it. Right. And so we're trying to figure out how to, how to do these things. And it's like, okay, guys, well, I don't know how else to do that. Sit right there. And I would walk into the, the recording booth and I would belt out the fucking tune. I would sing it from start to finish, like doing all the parts. You know, you would you would have a song you would have a song that had six six different actors in it, women, men, the whole nine yards, and I would just and I would just knock the whole thing out and I would just be like, do that. And then, you know, and then a guy like Ethan could could go in, he listens to it once. Uh if he wants it, they can play it in his ear while I'm doing it, and he could just go in and knock it out. Not everyone is that musically inclined, so some people are like, eh. <laughs> I'm having so many flashbacks right now, like just all these memories, and I'm just like, oh my god, I have like this vivid memory of like this booth, and I remember for some reason you coming in and me being so serious, be like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can do that, yeah, you know, just so yeah. like dialed in. I'm 19, I can do this shit. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah, yeah you're you're singing about contracting BD from a, uh, uh, um, you know from a woman of ill repute. Um, uh, yeah, the subject of this thing was not great. Uh, you know, that said, um, the locations that we shot in for this musical was, uh, you know, I, I just went all out. I was, you know, just, I'm just trying to make a fucking spectacle. And so uh, we shot, we had full run of the Detroit Zoo. It's, you know, it's like these guys dancing in front of barricades and stuff like that. Uh, 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 Ethan and company, they were on the field at, uh, at Comerica Park at, at, at the new Tiger Stadium. One of the highlights of my college experience being yeah. on the field. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have I, to see this. I have to see this. We have to find this VHS now. I've seen Drive. I've definitely seen Drive, but now we have to, yeah. we have to, have to watch it. I think it. I tried to show it to her at one point and she's like, what is this? Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know that it's worth it, The stories are great. I don't know that it's worth seeing. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a train wreck on top of a dumpster fire, but, but, but there was a, you know, there was a lot to it. And, and again, like, I mean, it's the beauty of, I mean, we, we talk on this show a lot about collaborations and stuff like that and um, and just how important it is, you know, no, no matter what you're on, uh, uh, to show up every day and give it your all. And if something else needs to be done, uh, uh, you, you, you know, you do it, uh, you figure out how you can be useful, even to like the shitty projects. <laughs> and again, this was, this was not my film. You know, I was, uh, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, I, I had been... I had been doing the film thing at U of M for a while and I, I knew how to put these things together. And so these people asked me for help and, and, um, and, you know, and, and they were friends. And so I did it. I ended up having to do a lot more than I thought I was going to have to do. Um, uh, but I did it. And, and then again, it's like, I mean, from that experience, I mean, I, I met, you know, not just Ethan, but probably a couple other people that um, I continued to work with, you know, because we have this huge cast and they're all pissed off. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and some are showing up and some aren't, but it was again, you know, Ethan came in every day and he gave it 110% and he did shit that we didn't ask him to do. And, um, and I just knew that he had something and it's like, okay, well, this is a guy that, you know, fuck all these other people. But as I move through, uh, you know, through life, this is a guy I'm going to keep close. And, uh, and we have, I mean, when I, when I moved out to LA, 
and I had to do my honors thesis at, at the American Film Institute, which was a, uh, a decidedly uh, better film. Ethan was my first call. I said, hey, I want to put you in this. And, uh, and we ended up being able to do it. Um, at that point, it was going to be Ethan starring opposite Carl Weathers. <laughs> I'm excited for that, man. Uh, uh, but that didn't work out, and uh, and and now you know now we are here after like wicked twists of fate. Um, we are both in this uh, ugly comic boat, and uh, <laughs> each other oh, it's, not, it's not ugly. If the comic boat could, was that ugly, we would have stuck with just Hollywood. Yeah, probably, it, yeah, it is a less ugly boat than uh, than than Hollywood, but uh, but it, it can still get pretty ugly. Yeah. Particularly on Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wanted to talk about like how what was your what was the first step in launching this thing on Kickstarter? And I don't mean, you know, building the page. I mean the story itself, the idea. Did it start as a comic? Was it a film that didn't go anywhere? Was it, you know, where what was the genesis of it? Um, I guess it was a concept that so, I mean, Ethan had seen this um, play. It's like a junk opera by this, this band called the Tiger Lilies uh, in London. So I did like a semester abroad at the Royal Academy in London. Um, and I think Riley was probably after you graduated. And um, I, uh, we saw this play called Shock-Headed Peter, which was an adaptation of an old German story. Right. And it was just fascinating it was so dark and macabre it was like edward gory illustrations brought to life and you just laughed at these dark disturbing things and i'm like that's amazing how does that happen and it stuck with me for years yeah and he always talked about it and i think did yeah. you have the book is, yeah. he, so he had the book and uh we had just worked on another project called in absentia which is like this anthology film series like kind of in the vein of the twilight zone and you know it, it was really beautiful and like we loved it and and we were talking to someone that was like it's it's really great it's dark do you guys have something like more like commercial this and that and we always really thought about doing something with uh you know the original source material from shockheaded peter mm -hmm. and that was a few years ago so that started like going and we just started thinking of it first to be honest like as a for TV, you yeah. know, um, that's the world we came from. So yeah. that's where we were like trying to envision it. Yeah. So we like wrote scripts. We, uh, we, we wrote a pilot. We just like really, really worked it. And we wrote a Bible like, yeah. we wrote this whole world. Like we just kind of built out this like Bible as we were trying to write, we would just expand this like notebook of like back histories and stories and like the mythology. Yeah. It didn't go into the script, but we were just constantly building this thing bigger and bigger. I think at one point, it's my brother or Charlie. Uh, it was probably because of Charlie. Yeah, yeah. So um, we know Charlie Stickney through my brother, and Charlie was just starting White Ash. For for uh, yeah for uh, for listeners who are unfamiliar, uh, Charlie Stickney is a friend of the show, and he is uh, the creator of White Ash and the co-publisher at Scott Comics. So, so uh, my my brother uh had seen this go with, with charlie and he's like well have you guys thought of it as like a comic book and i'm like i don't know we don't know that world i don't i, I don't know and he's like well charlie just you know did this very successful campaign with white ash so we looked at it and i think we both got a little overwhelmed we're like no uh, i don't i don't like malfunction yeah, we didn't know where to start we're like what but but at the at the same time it's such a 
large world is this fantasy horror. And as we start learning more and talking to more people, we are like, ah, yeah, I think that would be, that would probably be a great medium to yeah. tell the story. I think you came to, cause like my brother kept on saying it every time I'm like, Hey, would you read this? Hey, look at this. He's like, well, what about the comic? And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't know how to do that. No, no. And then I think we just, it just kind of built this seed. And I'm like, what about it as a comic? Yeah, well, there's a there's this thing that I have to do now because I mean we, we we've talked at at length uh, on this podcast. I won't bore the listeners with it again, but how I mean at some point I had to I was a screenwriter and and screenwriting became very tough, and I had to make this decision. Okay, well, if I had stuck to just being a screenwriter, then I would probably be back in Michigan doing God knows what. I don't know, uh, um, you know, uh, bail enforcement or something like that. Uh, um, but at some point I made the decision, okay, well, I'm, I'm not just going to be a screenwriter. I'm going to be a writer. You know, I'm just going to, I, I'm a storyteller. Um, I'm going to find the correct medium for whatever story I'm telling. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and that has served me very well, you know, uh, fiction, short stories, novels, uh, comic books, um, you know, fucking NFTs now, uh, all of this stuff, you know, it is just, it, it, you know, they're all in the same orbit at this point. And like you guys, I don't think, you know, this was kind of the first time you guys had to wrestle with this, I think, but it's like when, I mean, any writer, any creator has 10, 20, 30, 50 stories they want to tell. And, um, you know, they, they come to life slowly, but surely you don't just sit down with literally nothing on a story and just be like, okay, well, you know, how am I going to do this? They get built over time, like in the back of your head. Right. Um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson always talks about how he builds a story. He, he, he starts with lists. He has a notebook or sometimes we'll hang him on the wall and it's just, he's just making lists of shit. You know, when, when, when he, when he did Boogie Nights, it started out as, okay, here's a list of characters. Now let's branch these out. Now let's put a list of characteristics under these, these, these characters. And now let's make a list of things that could happen here and things that could happen there. And these lists eventually, you know, built out into this sprawling, really textured world and these characters that are not just three dimensional, but four and five and six dimensional. Right. Um, and it sounds like you went through that same thing and that's what happens with me. And there's always this tipping point, this, this, this decision time where it's like, okay, well, what is this? Right. Um, uh, is this a movie or, or is this in, 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 in your brother who's your brother is a, a manager. He's a manager. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a literary, yeah. He's a literary manager who deals with stories all the time. And so a guy like that, and it is in fact, his job to do this, to look at something and be like, I mean, Normally with a lit manager in Hollywood, it's like, ah, this feels more like TV or, ah, this feels more like uh, a film. You, you know what? It, uh, you have these big action scenes. If you took those out and, and, and tried to shoot for a $5 million budget on this, you could probably get it made. Um, uh, you, you know, these sorts of calls, you're always making these calls, these minor adjustments, right? Uh, Mid-flight. And, and what he saw is this feels like a comic book because I mean, I've, I've seen the book and it is, it is big and bad and twisted. And, 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 and so, you know, here's the thing is like right from the jump walking into a studio and trying to sell that, uh, you know, as a, as a film or, or a TV show could be very difficult unless you're fucking, you know, uh, uh, Jordan Peele or something like that, right? It's like, ah, Jordan will take care of it. Let, let, let him go with this crazy, uh, yeah. this this shockhead, whatever thing. Um, uh, uh, but but it, but but it, but it's something that it's something that I've had to do over and over again too. Where it's like sometimes you have a we have a big um, uh, my my I, I say we a lot because I write my film I, I write my film and TV stuff with a partner a lot of the time, and um, we have this big 
monster idea, right? Um, uh, you know, it's a world of monsters, and I won't go too far into it, but I mean, you get very little from just saying, oh, it's these monsters, and this happens, and this happens, and there are these people who fight the monsters and are intertwined for whatever reason, and it's like, we've seen monsters before. Why is this different? Why is this blah, 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 blah. But if you can, what we did was we went down and we, we wrote, we wrote a short story. Um, and it, it told you, you know, and, and it came to life like Harry Potter does in a book, you know? Uh, uh, so you're, you're, you're hearing the characters voices. You're, you're seeing the textures of the world. You're, you're, you know, how everyone's talking, all of this stuff. And once people saw that, as opposed to us just talking for 15 minutes in a room, talking about plot and stuff like that. They were like, oh, I see what this is. And then they could say, oh, we're in on this or we're not. I mean, the beauty of comics, of course, is, I mean, you guys have this bonkers yeah. thing going on. I mean, you, you are literally just bringing it to life in color and, uh, you know, in, in, I mean, the art has such attitude, which is what I really like about the project. And, and I, well, I think- prior to, prior to there being this comics avenue, yeah when you had something that had unbelievable visuals in it, there was a way that you sold it to a studio. And I've always thought it was interesting that I feel like George Lucas learned this lesson from a book that we probably both owned when we were kids called The Making of King Kong. Hmm. Willis O'Brien and Shotzak and Cooper commissioned 12 paintings of the most unbelievable shit in King Kong because if you sit in an office with someone and said, and then he fights with the Tyrannosaurus Rex, <laughs> set a hundred years before Jurassic Park 2, a studio executive isn't gonna go, oh sure, the big monkey fights the Tyrannosaurus Rex. I know exactly what that looks like. Yeah. Like there's no, that's mind boggling. Yep. So they had these gorgeous paintings done by O'Brien and by uh, Laranaga, I think is the other matte painter on the film, but it's the story of the film in 12 set pieces yeah. and Ralph McQuarrie's paintings for Star Wars are exactly the same process. I'm going to sit in an office at 20th Century Fox and I'm going to go Star Destroyer, Tatooine, Darth Vader, <laughs> Robots, Death Star, Millennium Falcon, Big yeah. Battle at the End. There it is. <laughs> this is what this thing is going to look like. And if you're George Lucas coming off a big movie or Willis O'Brien coming off the Lost World and the model work in that, the executives go, well, that seems super unlikely, but okay. <laughs> I always flash back, if you try to imagine like 1932, someone showing you a painting of King Kong on the Empire State Building and going, I can make that happen in a movie. How would you possibly believe that was true? Yeah. With no CGI, like how would you just go, yeah, sure. <laughs> Airplanes and a giant monkey on the tallest building in the world. Why would we be able to own that? It's like, it's baffling at that point. But yeah, and, and even still. And comic books are that now. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 it, it, definitely now. And I and I, I can't, you know, I mean, to, to would be like, you know, film TV types. I mean, you, you cannot underestimate the value of having like, I don't know, as is, is much visual information as much you know getting getting your your film your tv show on its feet as much as possible for a uh uh you know for for a buyer for a producer for for anyone i mean it's helped me twice in like the last you know two years i mean with aberrant the big thing you know we we, we set aberrant up as a a tv show pretty shortly after it, it debuted and um and you know 
we had, you know, Tony Kranz, the producer of, of, of 24. A lot of people have called Aberrant 24 with superheroes. So, of course, Tony Kranz steps in and he's reading through this thing and, he, and, and you know, he's just seeing it. And, and you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, a, I'm a film TV writer. And so I wrote I wrote a very I purposely wrote a very cinematic uh, uh, book and it has musical cues. And uh, you can hear the music playing while you're while you're rolling through it. And he's like, I read this and I just I saw I saw the pilot episode, you know, um, it just it, it felt like it. And so and that was I didn't have to say anything else. I never had to pitch this thing to them. Uh, this was the pitch. And and of course, he got me in a room and asked me all these questions. And where would this go? And where would that go? And there was more to do afterwards. But he was sold already. I, I after that point, I could have said something that disqualified us, but he was sold already. Um, uh, you know, and so I, I had to walk carefully. But um but with my other TV stuff, I mean, after after years of um, it is very hard to cross over from film to TV, right? Um, uh, it's getting less and less hard, uh, but it was it was near impossible for a while, and then you know it's it's sort of eased up. But after years of of, of trying and trying and trying, um, you know, I think what really got us over the hump, uh, the the big thing we just sold to to Lionsgate, this this big action show with David Diggs and and Rafael Casal and Emmy Raper Latman from Umbrella Academy. Um, uh, it, it was the pitch deck that really sold us. And, 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 and we had always just gone in and just, and, and given our, our 15 to 20 minute verbal pitch and then answered questions. And we're, we're good on our feet. You know, we're good performers. Uh, our stories are pretty good. Um, and that, that worked fine. Uh, but with this, I mean, so w we had the, we had the advantage of going in with, with, uh, with Rafa and Diggs, these guys had had sold TV sh uh, TV before. They just had just set up the blind spotting at, at Stars, and when they set up the blind spotting, uh, Rafa's job before he became this you know just music you know this music TV icon uh, was he did pitch decks for nonprofits in San Francisco, um, and so he's like, you know, this is how they get grants, and this is how they sell big investors, and so I'm just we're doing the same thing. I'm just going to do this for for Lionsgate, for Universal, for whatever. And, and for, you know, and for uh, blind spotting, they put together this incredible pitch deck where it's, you know, okay, this character, here's a picture of them and here's what they like. And let's play some music while we're pitching. Uh, uh, you know, you, you're, and so you are immediately there, you know, and you're, and you're seeing, they're bringing the location to life in the pitch deck and all of these things. And, and, and I watched how well this worked and then, you know, and then we did it again for, uh, I mean, th th this is a, a, a bonkers high concept action show that, that we're doing with them. And so it's like David's talking about, it's like, there's a huge leap here. Okay. Well, what do these people look like? And they have swords and they're walking around in fucking dusters. And yeah. how does that look? Well, it's like, well, let's get all the actors together. We have our three handsome, you know, beautiful, tough, badass actors Let's put them in the fucking costumes. <laughs> let's, let's hands and let's let's get the photo shoot and then let's use the pictures. And and so there is no question. It's like, oh yeah, well, what does that look like? Oh well, funny that you asked. Here's the next slide. Yeah. Um, and then you know the show is already there. And and, and here's the thing: is like you have created something in this pitch deck that's amazing. And so and so there is very little doubt in the end that you're not going to be able to then create the show, right? Um, and you know, and 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 the funny thing is, I had for years pitched my comic books um, uh, with you know, I, I would do a two-page, very succinct doc. You know, here, here's the basic pitch, here's the theme, here's why you should be interested, all that stuff. If you want more information, uh, contact me. And then I would have a larger doc that was maybe about six to eight pages that broke things down into issues, and I would send that after if they wanted it. But again, it's just text. It's it's white. 
it's it, it's a white page it's black uh it's black letters um and this is a visual medium and so after selling the show to Lionsgate, I'm like, you know what we did here? Why don't I do that with these, uh, you know, with, with these uh, these comics? And um, so, you know, I'm 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 in the middle of of shopping two comic books right now, and awesome. um, I put together these grand, you know, pitch decks for them with art and all these things. And um, even the people who say, you know, there are people saying yes. Even the people who say no are like, this this was the best pitch we've seen in a long time. So congrats on that. But we have something like it or or, or whatever. So like, if you can start from that point, like your success ratio goes up like crazy. Yeah. That's the thing about this process that I, I think, I, I think every filmmaker or director or film writer should at least venture to or experience making one comic book if only just to have that experience um you might get a lot of converts definitely just moving into the industry because it's it's one thing to try to hustle and work and move to make your film and we all know how long that can take unless you have like coppola money and you can be like oh i want to make a 170 million dollar blockbuster here's my wine money we don't always have that but it takes a long ass time. Not that making comics is particularly cheap. I mean, relatively it is, yes, comparably. I mean, but it is a lot easier to birth this idea, but still have the same, you know, framework, so to speak. Your your network, you're you're collaborating. Like I saw our um artist as like our director of photography, you know, collaborating with them in that respect in a way and and it still keeps you in that collaborating mindset um and where did you find your artist if i may ask how did how did because that's a that's we haven't really we didn't we we talked about the first step and we didn't do any of the yeah. other steps we jumped right to how how important that is what yeah. you know what so you came up with the story right did you write a, a pilot script for a tv show and then adapt that to a comic script yeah so yes so we we had this thing written and then we spent a very long time being like, well, what's the template for a comic book script? Well, the really important thing going back, which which is like really focusing on those moments. And I think it makes you a better storyteller of like cutting out the fat, right? Because you only have this amount of panels and the, this amount of pages to tell this story. And yeah. that was such a wonderful experience for us just to really make it succinct, but like impactful and coming back to the artist, like obviously someone who can bring those images to life the way we see it. So um, we actually found him through a Facebook group um, for, for comic right. illustrators. Um, but just quickly to touch on the, the comic book script, um, we, yes, we did go off of our initial pilot after researching what a comic book script template was and find out there really isn't one. There is not one. This is, this is what a lot of, this is what's kind of in common with a lot of them. And I'm like, okay, so what do what are the inkers and the pencilers and <clears throat> colorists and the letterers, what do they need to know? Mm -hmm. So that's how I was like, okay, this is what they definitely need to know. Now we can write whatever the fuck we want as long as they have this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and what's easy to read? What's yeah. information? Because nobody, as, as much attention to detail as you think you have or I think I have, everyone, you know, breezes through stuff and misses stuff. So I'm like, what's the most legible format? How do we break this down? Kind of pacing it. Um, so we did that. 
we finally went through our comic book, went went through the the script, and then we kind of had to mold scenes and change yeah. scenes and pacing because Rylan brought this up to us about you got to think about page turns, you got to think about where you end your page on, and and what's that like, and that caused us to rewrite scenes or condense scenes or remove scenes. Or yeah, cut some out. And then we started to be like, okay, this is no longer a pilot being converted to a comic. We're just making the comic now because mm-hmm. we we threw out what it was before and it's it's diff- it's becoming a different thing and that was kind of liberating and and kind of awesome feeling yeah um yeah it's an, it i've had to do it exactly once where i turned a pilot script into a comic and it became and i think this is probably not a bad rule of thumb for an hour-long show it became about two and a half issues and that was with cuts that was with I had one five minute dialogue scene that was fucking hilarious and throwing two thirds of those jokes right in the trash Yeah, hurt me, but I put them in a little file and I'm like, we'll find a way to get back to these funny jokes when we can, because yeah, comic book conversation cannot be 10 pages, man. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can't do it. You know, it's not good. Um, you know, you can, you can push the outside of the envelope and do 20 pages of conversation. Uh, and if you're a fucking genius, you might even make it work. But yeah, <laughs> the first, the very first thing I discovered when I became a comic book writer was the thing about there being no format. And the first format that was shared with me by a trusted, hardworking professional was legitimately terrible. And I used it for two years because I trusted them and thought, well, this looks terrible to me, but I'm just going to, everyone's going along with it. And then I, I submitted a script to Kevin Eastman and he was like, this is not a nice format. You're working. Where did you you get this from? And I was like, ah, this guy gave it to me. And he's like, let me show you uh, one of Tom Waltz's uh, Ninja Turtles scripts currently. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is a much more readable, easy to work. I'm not using friggin' tab stops ever. You know, I'm not wasting my time on formatting. I'm just typing. Yeah. Uh, and I made a couple of adjustments to it of my own. He didn't have the word balloons numbered. I think word balloons being numbered is a wonderful thing. So that I, I do. We do that. Yeah. I use, I use Taylor Esposito as the noun for letterer because he letters almost everything that I do. So, you know, being able to say to Taylor, you know, page five, panel two, balloon four. Right. No ambiguity about what I'm talking about. Unless oh, yeah. I number them in when I'm typing, which that yeah. will happen. Um, yeah, no, it, that basic. I love the fact that if you buy one of those books that's like the 20 greatest comic book scripts ever written, you go, yeah. these are all like not even remotely the same yeah. format. Oh, it, it, go ahead. I, I was like, I wanted to see, like, uh, how do the masters do it? Yeah. So, like, I sought out Alan Moore scripts and Neil Gaiman. Yeah, don't do that. Oh my God! Don't 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 ever do that. Alan Moore is yelling at his artist the entire time. (laughs) We're in a meadow. (laughs) Uh, I was like, yeah. By the way, Alan Moore, I just bought this course on the BBC Maestro course with Alan Moore. (laughs) I I don't do that stuff, but I saw him speak and like just like I just want to watch this guy talk. (laughs) It's just like feel like you're in a trance. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was insane. Like panel one, seven pages in. Panel two, like yeah. yeah. The um the uh it, it is liberating. I mean, it can be frustrating not to have all of these constraints. I mean, it, it, it is very easy to be like, here's your little sandbox, and just make it look like this. 
but it is liberating uh, uh, to have the freedom to kind of, you know, you know, do things left of center. And that's, that's, that's what I've loved about uh, comics from the start, but it is such an advantage to come in uh, just already being a visual storyteller, being a director. I mean, there are things you have to kind of get over the hump and, you know, you can get set in your ways as a film director and some of that stuff doesn't translate, but already, I mean, you guys have been directing for years, you know, and, and, and you guys have been in front of the camera and all of these things. And, and you've had to digest things as an actor and, and all of these, all of these things help. Like you, you, you are already thinking visually as you're writing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that ends up being a huge thing. I mean, I, I, I gave the commencement speech at the, uh, the LA film school graduation this last year. It was, it was really oh, yeah. cool. But, um, you know, when I, I, I taught this big class there encouraging, I, I rounded up a bunch of great comic creators who had uh, uh, careers in both comics and film and TV. And I was telling them like, you guys should be doing this too. Come make comics. You have all of the, like, the tools, like your LA film school education has has made you perfectly suited to do that. And, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, I mean, for me, and I feel like for you guys too, it's like, okay, well, you know, a screenplay is one thing, but a a then a, a comic script is screenplay, uh, shot list, and director's notes. Everything that you would give to a a wardrobe person, a uh, 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 an art director, um, set designer. Um, you know, in my case, a musical supervisor. <laughs> um, uh, uh, all of those things get poured into this, right? And um, and you don't, you know, it's it's great because if you if you get wacky with a film script and then it goes into, you know, whatever fucking, I don't know. I'm thinking Joel Silver because he got his ass canceled, but if it goes into Joel Silver's office and it doesn't look like what, what he's, he's been used to reading for 50 years, he's like, what the fuck is this? You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but, but an artist gets it or an editor gets it. And they're like, Ooh, cool. You know, what is he doing? Or, oh, wow, wow. He's doing that. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. This is really good information. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with a, um, I'm writing a, uh, a script that takes place, uh, in China. I, I'm doing a comic series. It's what they're announcing, uh, over the weekend, a comic yeah. series that takes place in China during the boxer rebellion. Um, and then during the warlord era that, that, that happens in the wake of all that. And so, Things need to be so utterly specific. All of the uniforms, the 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 individual uh, uh, locations uh, are of that time and of that place specifically. And there, there's going to be a huge Chinese audience reading this. And so if we don't get it right, right. Uh, um, uh, the bar is set very high. Not not, not just mention, uh, you know, there's also this spiritual element. It it, it is it is a uh, the third issue takes place at a Shaolin monastery. And so uh, you need to know what that looks like and what that feels like and what people are wearing and, and how the how the individual bows look. And, 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 and you know, this guy is holding a, a spiritual implement during this. Which one is it? All of that stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm dealing with um, a, an artist in, uh, in the Philippines, uh, artist and a colorist in the Philippines. English is not their first language. Right. And so uh, and so how do I in English in a script convey to them what this thing needs to look like? Right. Um, and so this script, I mean, all my scripts are like this, but this script in particular is here's a reference image. Here's a reference image. Here's a reference image. Here's a reference image. Um, and they don't have to go find this stuff and I don't have to worry about them getting it wrong. 
and uh, it looks exactly like it should and like it needs to. And 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 the the thousands of Chinese people that read this are not going to be offended by it. And in fact, they're going to love yeah. it because you know we 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 spent so much time getting it right and paying respect to the traditions and all of these things. Uh, and that's that's wonderful and important. And and it was um, uh, Avalone hosted this um, uh, this panel for the creators of the book, and we had the colorist and the and the um, and the artist on. And it was funny. I don't know if you noticed this, Avalone, but uh, you know, Avalone is he's asking us, uh, you know, how did the book come together, and you know, and what do you do this? And he would go to the artists, and it was a couple of times to be like, okay, so you know, well, you're you're trying to you're trying to bring you know uh, China in the 1900s to life. Like, how do you go about doing that? Like, what is the research process like? And they were all just unequivocally, well, uh, Ryland did it all for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, we, we, had, we had to look up a few things, but. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, Ryland took care of it, and uh, and we got it right. And of course, there were some adjustments. And so um, so so yeah, that's the beauty of this stuff, you know. And and as a director, you would normally, if you were doing a period piece, you would normally have these these conversations with your production designer, with your art director, with your costumer, and mm -hmm. and it's, you got to do it all, and you got to give it to, to yeah. this one person who's drawing it. You know? Yeah. You're writing a historical epic. It needs yeah. to, yeah, a period piece, like you said, there yeah. needs to be researched. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. And your comic book has some similarities because the world is so specific yeah. and the style needs to be so specific. And so. We, well, that's a thing. Reference. When, when, yeah, when you were speaking about that for us, it was like the same, just researching to build the world. Cause it's like, what does this world look like? Right. So we had to like, deep dive into it's a mixture of this and that and then show it to our um, yeah. our artists to, we, to we created it. our own like literal pitch deck before our comic book oh wow that's just the pitch deck to to show like reference images yeah is that hardcover? Yes, <laughs> yeah. we printed it. I, got, I get a little. I get a hardcover uh, pitch deck. Love it. God, you're up. You're, you're making me look bad. I, well, this, I, this I have was, PDFs. This was the idea. Like if we ever go yeah. in the room, you'd be like, here. This is for you. And I think that process too is what started being like, oh no, this should be a graphic novel. Like it's just like the whole evolution of it, just like, you know, it, it just organically developed and, and it was like, right. yeah. But because our world is kind of this makeup present day reality where, you know, it's not quite steampunky and it's not quite fantasy. It's just kind of some weird, you know, otherworldly present where, you know, not too long ago, there wasn't electricity and people are riding around in like hand-built electric cars and, but it's not sci-fi, it's like old worldy. Well, because in our world, there is electricity right. and all that. It's just, there's okay. no like cell phones or Yeah, people could still computers. use typewriters. And, right. You know, so and we, there's cars, they just look different. Right. <laughs> so we had to kind of build those images um, ourselves and create it, you know, uh, through a lot of Photoshop um to to show our in that artists book. and yeah yeah so that that was extremely helpful with our artists yeah. and then tying it back to how we found our artist uh rylan um uh i think it was kind of offhand you're like hey, you might want to check out some facebook groups and there's this you sent me a couple links and there was this one facebook group connecting comic book writers and artists mm -hmm. so i would just like periodically stream through and um 32,000 members yeah it's <laughs> massive yeah. Just look through. And then one day there was this post and I was like, Jessica, look at this art. It was cool. It looked hand drawn. It was fun, mm -hmm. but also kind of dark. And I'm like, that's the world of shock headed Peter. Yeah. And so we reached out to the artist 
And turns out that was like the first time that artist had posted in or that in, the, in a really long time or something. But yeah, part well, of his art too was the color, the way he used light. He uses light in his in his yeah. art, which was so important to it, us. It too. attracted so us. Yeah. It was just like meant to be, you know. So we reached out to him. He, uh, an artist in Rome, uh, his name is Giuseppe Sabed Stefano, um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, we reached out to him uh, and kind of went through the process of doing like test pages and, you know, doing a video call because we're like face to face people. A lot of people are like, uh, I prefer not to talk. Can you just text me or email me? I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Well, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, particularly if English is not their first language, you know, that, right. that, that ends up being a tough ass sometimes. But yeah, no, no, I totally get that. He His English is totally fine. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And um, he's yes. But uh, no, but I'm talking about some people in the United States who are like, I don't want to talk. Can we just like, just send me the stuff and I don't want to look at you. Uh, <laughs> well, what I was saying, like, it's like, you know, at one point I think you mentioned collaboration and it's true yeah. and, and you're collaborating and this is a long process. So like, just like when you are on a film set, like the people you work with always make the experience better because it is long hours. It is this, it is that. And, and you want to be able to communicate your vision and also enjoy the process as much as possible and we're so lucky because it's been a joy to work with him yeah. and and that has made it just so much fun you know such such a, yeah. a positive experience and yeah, um this, yeah then no working with joe uh we call him joe for short um sure. giuseppe he, joe. he asked us to, to yeah. call him yeah, no, it's common enough. <laughs> so working with him like part of the allure was we saw that he was so great with the light his color. So we wanted him for inks, pencils, and color. And then also being our first book and color con uh, budget conscious, uh, we were like, can you do letters as well? We just wanted to see how that worked. And he, he was great. Um, and he got excited though about yeah. doing all, he was like, Oh yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, I want to do it all. So like, you know, obviously it, it it's like, he's just, he's really just a phenomenal artist all around. So we, yeah, we, so we lucked out. Um, cause I know sometimes people drop off and you hear stories all the time. Like, oh, I was working with this artist. He dropped off. So I need someone to finish the book. Can anyone do this style? And I'm like, for a lot of time, I was like, fuck, I, I you know, I really hope like, please don't go away. Please don't go away. Uh, cause, so we would like, Hey, let's do another video call. Hey, let's just, you know, let's just talk again. <laughs> just kind of keeping cause the equivalent of like knocking on someone's door. but like, where's my pages, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's a that is a tricky thing. And man, I couldn't be an editor in a million years. I have waited on pages from people and I have been as polite and as I need mean, just if someone doesn't want to draw, they don't want to draw, and you cannot make them. And it's and it's a lot of work. And you know, that as a writer, I always think about you couldn't do this. <laughs> like they you're yeah. getting them 30 days to draw 20 pages, you couldn't do it in 70 days. <laughs> you know, yeah. like and it certainly wouldn't be publishable after those 70 days. <laughs> it's to me the interesting thing about where I think people from film going into comics have a unique uh, advantage. It's not just that we're visual storytellers. It is that we're used to dealing with a team and the idea of communicating with the team. And there, are, to me, there are a variety of different kinds of film directors. I like to be the guy that says, give me a medium close up. I don't like to be the guy that says I'd like a 40 millimeter lens seven feet off the ground. Right. Like to me, that's a little like the DP is here for a reason. 
Yeah. Let him frame the close-up. And you know what? You work with a DP for more than a couple of days. They figure out what your close-ups look like and what you like. After you adjust the camera three times, yeah. they go, okay, he wants a little more space on the left than I usually yeah. like. Great. We'll, we'll, do, we'll be doing that, you know? Totally. And uh, it's the same thing with artists. Artists figure out what you like and what works for you and what doesn't look for you and what you're going to tweak and what you're not going to tweak. And I also think, I think, Ethan, you and I have a rare perspective of being, I was a film editor professionally for 25 years, and it's what I was doing most professionally before I got into this. And that in post-production, you have the colorist, which tracks directly onto comic books. And you have the sound mix, which tracks onto lettering pass. You know, even to the degree that when I started, I was really... Like sound effect did not come easy to me, and I felt dumb as hell typing SFX colon kapow. Like, uh, really? <laughs> but it's like, dude, someone fired a gun. It made a sound. What is that sound? What's the least humiliating thing you can come up with? Yeah, you know. And I went through old. I literally went through old comics I loved and went. If it was good enough for Jack Kirby to go kapow, kapow, kapow when someone fires a handgun, well, then I guess it's good enough for me. So I'm going to go with kapow, kapow, kapow. Uh, I just did a piece that involved fire and water. And I was like, how many ways can I type foosh? Yeah. And I got two things, two opposite things that make foosh sound effect. So I got the running water and I got the fire. And I got to figure out different ways to type that that will look different on the comic page. I um I, I have an agreement with my letterer and that that my uh my sound effects are placeholders, you know. It's it just it, I mean he's he's very good at just coming up with something that I don't know, it feels very distinct, you know. I mean there it, it was a, he was nominated for uh, a Ringo award for his work on Banjax and there were all these really big visceral fight scenes in Banjax and he really I mean the 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 art was great of course, but he really brought them to life, you know. You could kind of feel everything and you know, you, the, the, the crunches and the, you know, and, and he would just come up with these sound effects that it's like, what does it sound like when it, when somebody's leg breaks and, you know, um, and he would just come up with the perfect thing. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, if you have something better, do it, you know? Sound effects is something that I personally agonize over. I know that we have had butted heads <laughs> Because, okay, this being our first thing. But, like, just saying the words out, and, like, if someone was recording us, we just sounded oh like, just like, no, it sounds like this. No, it sounds no. like this. Do you say it like this? Like, like <laughs> And you get, like, serious. You're like, no, that is not. It's like a fushakataka. <laughs> and, you like, you're just basically saying consonants to, and jumbled together. But it's so serious. Yeah. And, yeah. like, we would, like, that, that was something that I think we agonized over. Be, like, to, trying to make it different and not look like, I just don't want to whoosh. What's yeah. another cool thing? We gotta make up something, and so like that. Maybe yeah. maybe we'll we'll get off that, but that was definitely something that was yeah interesting. Well, I, I I've talked about this before. A big part of my evolution as a comic book writer, artists have been so helpful to me. Particularly the, the artist I've worked with the most, Dave Acosta, said to me once, "Let comics be comics." I think about that all the time when I'm writing. I used to, when I broke in, I, and I think a lot of people did this, do this, I did very cinematic comics. What you could see and what you'd hear if you were watching it in a movie and yeah. nothing else. And Dave was like, write a caption every once in a while, man. It'll be, it'll, it won't kill you. 
you'll be fine. And I still like lean towards my captions tend to be first person narration rather than yeah. omniscient narrator. And the one time I tried omniscient narrator was on a Zorro project. And in the fourth issue, he met a goddess character and I'm writing the scene with the goddess. And I went, Oh, it's been the goddess narrating this thing the whole fucking time. And I didn't even know that. Like I was writing her manner of speech and went, oh, she talks a lot like the narrator because she's a goddess and knows everything. <laughs> so why don't we, I sort of retrofitted. I told the letterer, make the word balloons. The, the narration had been in this like chocolate background. And I said, I want that same background on the word balloons so that when the yeah. goddess shows up, the whole audience goes, Oh, that's who's been telling us the story this whole time. And it completely changed the flavor of the fourth issue that I thought I was doing when I was like, no, the villainess is kind of the person who's been telling us the story all along. And that totally makes sense. But that's, that's not a choice. If in a movie, that's not a choice I could have made right in the third act of a movie. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. That voiceover that a man's been doing for three, uh, for 20, for, for 90 minutes. It's yeah. a woman now. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's all these tools that you, you have at your disposal in this medium. And through this process, I think we've discovered them and we're leaning into them because I mean, I'll say admittedly, we, we lean towards in film what is it? The Robert McKee adage, the voiceover, don't do voiceover. It's like the bad, you know, it's yeah. kind of a bad written thing. So I think that's kind of, so like we, we tend to not think in voiceover or use voiceover when we do stuff. So I, we didn't really have, we have very few captions in part one that mm -hmm. might change in part two. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, leaning into those and discovering those as you go along, like letting comics be comics sure. and um, like rewriting. Well, and yeah. Those rules like never use a never use voiceover, never use zoom lenses. It's like, you know who did all those things? Kubrick. So yeah. well, and Fellini. Yeah. And you know, it's it's like yeah. it, those it, are great rules yeah. for amateurs, but the minute you're even remotely good at it, use all the voiceover well, you fucking right. want. See, I, I mean it's 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 a completely outdated concept, yeah. you know. I mean, it's like I, I mean, you know, these people have never seen Euphoria, you know. <laughs> um right. you've never seen any of the like yeah. Disney or Pixar our movies that have come out over the last like five years that are glorious. I mean, it's like yeah. Um, it is such a, a powerful and interesting tool. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm battling with it right now. We got this, this film that's about to be shot in Germany and, you know, we have a, um, you know, very talented uh, Oscar winning director, but he's 70, you know? And so he's like, Oh, you can't use voiceover. You can't have this many cuts. You can't, you can't jump through time like this. And it's like, why? And it's like, well, because you, you can't, why not? <laughs> what, what about this? And what about this? And what about that? It's like, Oh, you know, this, you know, no, and and, and and sometimes you know people can adapt and become more interesting artists in film and in comics by adapting to time as it goes on. But I remember, like, when I saw Cape Fear, uh, the remake, I was like, uh, "Someone pull Marty away from watching Oliver Stone movies because uh, he's not good at this, and he shouldn't try these techniques. They are not 
They are not natural. You, you, Send them back yeah. to Hitchcock. It'll well, be you, you, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, you want to talk about an argument for voiceover. Watch fucking Goodfellas. Watch The Wolf of Wall Street. You got oh, yeah. two fucking masterpieces right there that hinge like almost completely on fucking voiceover on 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 a, a first person narrative, you know, right. I mean, you, 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 see it in, I mean, you see it in, in novels also. I mean, there is a, oh, uh, yeah. a you know, in, in, in a, you know, at, at almost every level, but particularly at the agent level, there's such a, um, there's such a pushback uh, uh, against novels, you know, uh, I, I mean, certain genres, it doesn't matter so much, but, you know, if I were going to write a novel, I mean, a novel written in, in the first person, there's a, you know, a huge pushback. I mean, if you watch the, I, I'm on a big Jack Reacher uh, uh, kick right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the first Jack Reacher novel is written in first person. It's written from Jack's point of view. And it's, I did this and I was thinking that and I was, yeah. and, and, and then the other, you know, whatever, 60 some odd that came out after yeah. that. You know, we're, 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 you know, we're all told in, in this third person. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was because, you know, somebody's like, oh, well, you know, you can't do that. And and then, you know, and then you write 10 more of them and like, you're just kind of stuck with it. And he liked it for whatever reason. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, it is very easy. If you are a writer that nobody knows about and that nobody has a reason to really invest in you, like you, you didn't do this first or that, um, somebody might pick up your novel and be like, and read a couple of pages and be like, first person? Eh, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I'll I'll tell you I, I I'm reading the this Ursula K. Le Guin novel Left Handed Darkness. Mm-hmm. She has two different characters speaking in first person in alternating chapters. Yeah, and that was in like what the sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's I mean God knows it's all been done before. Yeah, uh, there's a great Roger Zelazny novel called uh, Road Marked, and I noticed this. It jumped. It's about time travel. It's about trying to travel on a highway that it, a highway that drives through time. And depending on what exit you get off, you're in a different time. I didn't notice until about 10 chapters into the book, it was chapter two. And I was like, <laughs> wait, how is it chapter two? And I flipped back and then I noticed that every chapter it started, it was chapter two, then chapter one, then chapter two, then chapter one, then chapter two, then chapter <laughs> one. And that was how you tracked which timeline you were in. Uh, were you in a part of the story or a chapter one part of the story they didn't i wasn't paying attention to the the word one or two over i was just reading the book and i was like oh he's 30 years younger in this chapter okay oh he's 60 in this chapter and then by i was like oh so he's 60 in the chapter twos and he's 30 in chapter one got it now i now i understand what i'm reading but uh that kind of wolf of wall street uh which i'm not as big a fan of as you are is actually a, a a great example of something that works really well in literature that is almost impossible to convey in a movie, the unreliable narrator. Yeah. Uh, Scorsese nods at it at the beginning with the car color joke, where he's yeah. talking about the color of the car, and then he goes, well, actually, the car was this color. It's like, that guy is a complete liar, and nothing in that movie happened. Yeah. But when you're looking at a movie with actors in locations and it's concrete, you can't keep telling yourself this is all lies and none of this happened. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to like shake yourself out of no, 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 no. This is a drug out liar telling me his life story and none of well, it is true. Well, I, I mean, it becomes, but it's almost, it's almost something you use like against the audience. And I mean that in a really good way where it's like, they will, they will eventually, they will start to believe whatever they're told. They'll, they'll, they, 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 they come into it knowing that and then they forget and they get yep. lost in this guy's point yep. of view 
And and the trick is to remind them at, at, at very yeah, specific strategic points, and then they they feel terrible or they feel exhilarated or or whatever, and that becomes a very you know, and then and then the, the classic twist ending is you know, cool. you know, actually this didn't happen this way, you know, this has all been a ruse. This is you yeah. know, it, it's it's the Kaiser Soze moment. It's, uh, yeah. it's whatever. Well, and it's, and it's also like. I remember everyone saying, you know, that the I, Tanya movie, you know, vindicated Tanya Harding. It's like yeah. there's a title card at the beginning of that movie that says this is based on what Tanya Harding and her yeah. boyfriend had to say and nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah. then maybe none of it is true and none of it actually <laughs> happened. and It doesn't exonerate her at all because, yeah. of course, her side of the story comes out like this, you know. Yeah. But anyway, that's just a again, it's a tool. You know, and I'm against anyone who says never use this tool. This tool is bad when you can point to a thousand right. uses of the tool. Like every but again, it's there is something to be said. If I had written captions in my first comic ever, they would not have been good and I would not have known what I was doing. And I would have kind of stumbled find a reason to have them. I was like, no, I can the visuals are I don't have to say what this is. The visuals are. And it's yeah. also funny if you go back and look at old comics. They are so built around so much of old comic book writing is built around the deficiencies of the art. And I even think that's one of the reasons for the popularity of superhero comics is whatever head you draw on Doctor Strange, he's Doctor Strange. He's in the Doctor Strange outfit. So if his face is off model every other panel, who gives a shit? Yeah. He's Doctor Strange. I can I can totally make the Hulk's the Hulk. I get it. He's the green guy. Yeah. If he has a completely different face in every panel, he's still the green guy and we're on top of that. And we talked about it before that, you know, the the 1980s, even Chris Claremont was doing, hey, Professor X, why are we here on your island, which is owned by blank after having escaped Magneto in the last issue? <laughs> no one talks that's, like that. That's the other interesting thing with writing for comics, what we were talking about going panel to panel is costume. Yeah, you don't want to change. Yeah, you never change very, their clothes. Yeah, unless for a very specific reason, because then it looks weird. Yeah, but yeah. you think about it, like you're like, like with film, you're like, okay, costumes, what are they wearing in this the scene? Continuity. What's the continuity here? And you're like, no, it's got to be the same, unless for a very specific reason. Otherwise, it reads odd. Yeah, yeah. This is funny. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's like you know, a, a a lot of that does go back to fear of the art not conveying what's going on and you know i'm a big you know my wife's a costumer i i, I think a lot about costume and you, it's something you see done poorly every other television show procedural every cop is wearing a suit that literally looks like someone steamed it two seconds ago yeah <laughs> it's like i have never seen a cop in a suit that looked like someone steamed it two seconds ago I've never seen a lawyer suit that looks like someone steamed it two seconds ago. It looked like it was rolled up in a ball, thrown in the trunk of a car, and put back on. You know, that's and I also love, and this is a tangent, but it's like people do not have on cops do not have unlimited wardrobes. Yes, I yeah. like seeing Lenny Briscoe in the same shitty blazer every episode, because that guy owns three blazers and he dry cleans them about once a month. And that's it. He's yeah. a cop. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. No one's going, hey, Lenny, you wore the that blazer yesterday. No one cares. Yeah. Like, no, one, no, one, no one in his life is doing that for him. So these things where, where, where you know, 
people who are supposed to be poor or middle class have these bottomless closets of fabulous clothes just because that's the standard thing. Yeah. You know, I've also told this before, but it's, you know, it is something you think about a lot. I wrote a Betty Page comic where for plot reasons, she changed into a commando uniform to do a thing, to do a commando raid. And then for plot reasons, she never, she got captured and she never got out of the costume for two, three issues. And when I was writing the third issues, I was like, <laughs> Betty Page has been in baggy fatigues for 60 pages now. Who the hell buys the Betty Page comic? She never wears a dress. She's never in a bathing suit. Like, <laughs> you know, but God bless them. I got no complaints from the audience because they were following the story and it would have made absolutely no sense for a guard to bring her an evening gown. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're trying to a wall, but here I got this nice A-line dress that I think will look fantastic I on you. I want to see that scene. Right? <laughs> Just bringing it. Ms. Page? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, tell us about the, 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 we should wrap up, but tell us about the Kickstarter. How long is it going? This will premiere, this episode will premiere this coming Wednesday, the 20, no, the 30th. Excuse me. No, oh, awesome. So calculating from there. <laughs> what, uh, uh, Wednesday, how long will you have left? Like, uh, well, we, we com the deadline or the last day is uh, April 21st. So three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Great. Three weeks. Yeah. Um, and we started on the 22nd. So we're in day, we're we in day six right now. We're in day <laughs> six. Together, but yeah. Um, premiere on day eight. Yeah. Uh, we, we, you know, we hit our goal after the third day or in the middle of the, what was your, what was your goal? Uh, uh 5750. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, That's funny. So we, we yeah, we we hit our goal uh, middle of the third day, um, and then we're starting to uh, hit for the first stretch goal. We yeah. we just announced stretch goals, um, which we're really excited about. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's going strong. We had really good response. How many pages is it? And uh, what are the what are the stretch goals? And what are the what? Stretch goals. Stretch goals. Stretch goals. Uh, it's fifty eight pages. It's going to be in a perfect bound uh, uh, book. We're not doing saddle stitch. We're getting, um, we already upped that. Um, our first stretch goal uh, is, yes. Like a, almost like a trade paperback. It's going to be, yeah. Yeah, you, you guys are using the dull cover like this too, right? Yes. I, yeah. yeah, we are. Yeah. It's going to be pretty. So we're excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is really good radio for the yeah. lion Shriver audience listening on iTunes, but yeah. <laughs> so it's 58 pages um, and our first stretch goal at 6,500, which we're only like $180 away yeah. at this point in time. Um, we are going to be, uh, everyone who gets a copy of the book, digital or physical otherwise, will be getting 200 extra pages of comics. Um, oh. One yeah. of them is the 130 page graphic novel called The Margins. From the amazing people at Fanbase Press, um, nice. which is an awesome book. It's a great um, book. Yes, and um, and I urge everyone to go and buy the paperback copy, hard or, or the physical paperback copy, which we did. But all that will be in the Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and then also the double issue first um, first issue of Monster Matador by Stephen Prince. Everyone Excellent. will be getting a digital version of that as yeah. well. So. All in all, once we reach, everyone will be getting like 
200 plus pages of comics yeah. at like the lowest, one of the lowest tiers. Yeah, right? as long as they get a digital copy of, of our version, yeah. um, we'll include that as soon as we hit our first stretch goal or 6,500. And then the next one is um, once we hit 150 backers, we're going to do these um, our own version of like a golden ticket. So in our in our story, there's like a TikTok cavalcade, which has to do with clocks, and we it's like this world's rose parade for yeah. this town. But with okay. clocks, we're including one of the rewards is these um, tickets for the cavalcade parade. But with the stretch goal, fifty of them are going to be made into golden tickets. So those are really cool and yeah. So fun. there'll be gold foil printing on one side, um, and they'll be randomly inserted into fifty packages. Uh, nice. Once we have 150 backers. Yeah. So it's fun too. It's like, who will get the golden yeah. ticket, you know? <laughs> and then we got a bunch more planned, but we won't release exactly what they are and what tiers they are until we at least reach the first stretch goal, which should be fairly soon. Wait, yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's very, I mean, I got to say for, for coming in from it, the angle you've been coming in for it, getting 5750 in a couple of days is is pretty great that's a you know yeah. that's that's a nice really uh, yeah i've seen people struggle to get two thousand dollars in 30 days so that's nice, a nice backer count too so uh yeah yeah, yeah we're, we're excited um yeah uh so i mean just keep on pushing getting the word out um we i mean we just want people to read this because we we actually we feel it's such a fun you know fun world, fun world. And story and and there's a lot more to come too. So we're we're hoping oh that, that this be, is, you know, that was going to be my last. That was going to be my last question: Is will there be sequel books to this book? Because I'm sure that's of interest. Oh, yeah. So this is just part one. Our plan is three to wrap up the first arc, and the idea is while we're in the midst of writing two and three, they're going to be fifty to seventy page parts. Yeah. So all in all, this thing will definitely be around 150 plus pages um, once we finish the third part. And that will end the arc of Shockheaded Peter. But that being said, we have ideas for yeah. four more. <laughs> yeah, we do. It, like the story continues. As we were saying, like we build a world, but then it became this universe. So it, it's quite um, fun, exciting and, and large. And we're hoping that, you yeah. know, we, we get the chance to tell the full story, the full arc and all the other arcs. It, so. it runs deep. And we imagine after the first book, it's just going to start unfolding like a large Tolkien map, you know? Excellent. <laughs> well, where can people find you online? We will put the, we'll definitely put the link to the Kickstarter in the description, in the show description and all that. But where can people find you individually online? Uh, I am across social media at EBK from LA. Across. And you can find me at, Jess Silvetti um, on well on Twitter it's J E Silvetti and Instagram I'm Jess underscore Silvetti. It's what was available. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. And Ryland, where where can the kids find you? I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That's R Y L E N D G R A N T. I spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and settled me with it, and so now I have to spell it for you. <laughs> um, my, uh, my books, the Ringo award-winning Aberrant and the four-time Ringo nominated Banjax are available in fine comic shops everywhere and via Amazon and no longer Comixology, rest in peace. Uh, but you know, other fine booksellers, um, my, uh, my Kickstarter books, uh, um, 
the Astral Projection Thriller, The Jump, and the Fargo S Crime Drama, The Peacekeepers, uh, are available right now via my Backerkit site. Um, if you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, that's the jump one word and the number two, thejump2.backerkit.com, you can find those. You get signed comics, uh, uh, signed Aberrant and Bad Jacks issues, uh, rare con variants, the whole nine yards. That's like a one-stop Ryland Grant shop. So uh, if you dig it, uh, go there and check some cool stuff out. And as I uh, teased in the opening, the uh, collected edition, the trade paperback of my Tokusatsu joint, Suicide Jockeys, is available uh, right now via comic shops and Amazon.com. Uh, Go check it out and uh, come see me at WonderCon for the uh, the announcement of my next book on Saturday, the Immortal Studios panel. Ethan and Jess, are you going to be at Comic Con or at WonderCon? You're yeah. Saturday yeah. and Sunday. Come find us. We'll be around. Well, yeah, we'll be we'll be walking around and yes, I will. I, I will also be roaming for. I'll be roaming for all three days. I think free range comic book writer. Uh, Ringing on the free range comic book writer, uh, I find. Um, and you can find me, uh, David Avaloni freelance.com branches out to all of, all of the things. And in, uh, the end of May, my next series, uh, Elvira in Horrorland drops in which Elvira finds herself. She discovers that all movies create their own little pocket dimensions and she keeps getting stuck in, Famous horror movies. The first issue uh, for for the for the deep nerd horror fans at home. The first issue is called Block Party, uh, and she gets stuck in uh, Psycho. And the second issue is called She's a Kubrick House. And uh, <laughs> I, leave, I leave the I leave the head of the class for whoever can uh, figure out what movie that takes place in. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Ethan and Jess. It was great to have you guys. And we will see you listeners or hear you listeners or watch you listeners on the next exciting episode of the writer's block. Thank Thanks you for listening. Thanks so much. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review and wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the writer's block. For more information, visit pendantaudio.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>